Good morning, church. Good to see all of you. Well, let's see. OU won yesterday. OSU won yesterday. Arkansas beat Texas yesterday. The trifecta has been accomplished. Everybody take tomorrow off. Tell them, tell them Joe said. That'll make all the difference in the world. Amen. Good to see all of you. Glad you're here. I can see some of you are not quite the football fans that I am, but that's okay. We'll pray for you, and it'll work out fine. Hey, we're going to be in, in the book of 2 Corinthians this morning, uh, and, and just uh, two or three verses that, that I want to break down for you and, and encourage you to take a look at. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this morning uh, a very particular ask, and that is to keep your Bibles open, get something to write with. And when we get into the heart of what I want to teach this morning, there are going to be four or five words that I want you to really focus on, and there would be some things that you might want to uh, write down in the margin of your Bible or, or, or put down somewhere so that you can get back to them, not because of what I'm going to say, but because of the meaning behind them and what we see in, in, the, in the Word of God. So let's pray, and then we're going to read in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 this morning. Father, we are grateful for this Lord's Day that you've given us, for the goodness that uh, you have sent our way. We thank you, Father, for grace. We thank you that it is amazing. God, help us not to ever lose touch with the fact that our salvation is not because of how good we are or how obedient we were. Our salvation is not because we're better than other people around us, but, Father, it is, it is by your grace that we are saved through faith. And, Father, that truly is amazing. And we thank you for that great grace. Help us, Father, as we open your word this morning, that we would realize it to be your word, and there would be no doubt in our heart or our spirit that it comes from you. We thank you, Father, that by your great power you have preserved this word for us, that we might have it today in the exact way that you would have us to have it. And God, I pray that as we read it, we know that this is not the, the words of men, but Father, this is your word to us. We thank you, Father, for that. We thank you for Jesus. And it is in his sweet and powerful name that we pray. Amen and amen. And all the Lord's people said, amen. Second Corinthians. We're going to spend our time just in a couple of three verses this morning. And my, my, my plan is to kind of drill down into these verses a little bit and, 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 and help you to see some truth, help to remind you of some truth of the gospel. And, and so we're going we're gonna to kind of slow down a little bit, kind of tap the brakes a little bit and look very carefully at what the Lord would say to us. And we're, and we're going we're, we're gonna to pick it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Why don't, why don't we start reading in verse 20? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, find their yes in in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Isn't that an interesting statement? That all the promises of God find their yes 
in Jesus. Of all the things that God has promised over all the years, all of those promises are affirmed in Jesus. All of those promises find their yes in Jesus. And notice notice that the only response to the promises of God through Jesus, the only response is yes and not no. Jesus never gives us a no when it comes to the promises of God. But instead, Jesus always gives us the yes. There is not a promise that God has ever made that either has not been resolved or is being resolved or will be resolved in Jesus. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus. So one of the things that teaches us is that Jesus reveals to us the promises of God. When a promise is fulfilled in him, it is a revelation of that promise through him to us. So Jesus reveals God's promises. Jesus fulfills God's promises. Not only does Jesus show us what the promises are, but he is the fulfillment of those promises. And I am quite convinced that Jesus enables us to receive those promises. Because there can be no promise of salvation apart from Jesus. Amen? Amen. I amen myself. There can be no promise of salvation, no fulfillment of salvation apart from Jesus. So you see, Jesus reveals the promises of God. Jesus fulfills those and then enables us to receive the promises. You say, well, Joe, what's our response to that? It's a great question. Did you notice that the answer to that question is actually in the verse? For all the promises of God find their yes in him, That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, in the Baptist church, amen means one of two things. It either means set down or leave. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but if anybody during any part of the service says amen, we sit down. Or we gather up our stuff and get out because that's what we think amen means. And in some ways it does. But let me, let me encourage you to think about the word amen in this way. It means that it is true. It is true. And notice what it says. By all, but for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So and where the word amen is, think about it this way. We see the promises of God revealed and fulfilled in Jesus. And when we come to grips with that, our only response to that is amen. Our only response to that is that's true. It is true. Jesus is the only way of salvation. That's a promise of God fulfilled in Jesus. Our response has got to be that's true. It is our amen. It is, it, it, is, it, is, it is our amen because Jesus' fulfillment of a promise is evidence of its truth. And as the children of God, our only response to that fulfillment should be amen. 
Amen. It is true. Look at what Jesus has showed us. Look at what Jesus has done for us. Look at what Jesus is doing for us. And when we see those things as Christ followers, our response should be no less than amen. It is true. Now, it is out of this magnificent truth that Jesus is the yes <laughs> to all of God's promises. And we respond with the amen. But if you'll look in the verses that we read together this morning, it's out of this magnificent truth that, that Paul begins to, to tell us about four things. And, and, and really, I want to give you four words to mark down and write down and hang on to. And if we have time, I'm going to turn those four into five, not because I'm a magician, but simply because there's another piece of it that I think is important to you. Notice what it says in verse 21. Now, we've already learned that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises, that our response to that is amen. Now, what happens? Look at verse 21. And it is God. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Let's stop right there because that's going to be our first word. Notice that the scripture says that God establishes us in Christ. Now the word establish is not the word that I want you to think about there. Here's what I want you to think about there. Where it says that we are established. Oh, this is so good. That, 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 that it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. That literally is our authentication. That's the word that I want you to hang on to. It is our authentication. And the reason I want you to hang on to that word is because I think it is so relevant and so important to us today that we think about this. When we are established with each other in Christ, it is our authentication. How many of you, how many of you have your cell phone set up so that you look at it and it recognizes your face and then opens? Any of y'all got it set up like that? That's crazy to me. My wife has done that, and so I can't, I can't get on her phone. Not that I should be on her phone. And, and I thought, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe I want to set my phone up because, because you understand that's kind of an authentication process, right? That your phone recognizes your face. And when it recognizes your face, it turns itself on. It is, it is an authentication process. Of course, of course, there's a problem with this face recognition business. Some of you think it is the perfect security measure so that no one else in the whole world could ever get on your phone, but that's not true. What about your doppelganger? That's a German word that means someone who looks just like you. Y'all aren't taking notes, are you? So have, have, you ever heard, have you ever heard that somewhere in this great big world there is someone that looks just like you? The Germans call that your doppelganger. I'm not making that up. Look in your phone, get it to turn on, Google it, and you'll see that I'm telling you the truth. I know the hesitancy is you're just, you're just amazed that I, that I know German. Listen, listen, I, I am multilingual in ways that you would never ever consider. For example, I know some Spanish. I can say taco and burrito. Right? I know some Italian. I can say spaghetti and lasagna. I even know French. I can say fries and bread. Yeah, so 
Y'all will get that second one later, and it will be absolutely hilarious, right? So, so the Germans have this word doppelganger, which means someone who looks just like you. And that means if you ever lay your phone down and your doppelganger happens by and picks your phone up and looks into it, it's going to come on. And there it just blows your security to pieces. See, so, well, Joe, what do you do for security? I use passwords. I have passwords for all my stuff. And, and you say, is that secure? Yes, it is absolutely positively secure. And here's how I know that. I don't, I don't even remember my passwords. So all my stuff is incredibly secure. All right, but these phones that we carry, these little computers that we carry in our pockets and our purses, they, they, they have this authentication process. Now look at the verse. Look at the verse. The authentication that we encounter in these verses is proof of who we are and whose we are. And notice, notice, this is so, let me get my Bible up. This is so cool. And, and if you're not careful, you'll read right by it and you'll miss it. Look at, look at what it says. And it is God who establishes us. Now, now pay attention, pay attention. It is God who authenticates us. You, you want to know, oh, here it goes. You, you want to know if you're a Christian or not? You want to know if you're a Christ follower or not? You want to know if you're a believer or, a believer or not? Those, those are important questions, wouldn't you agree? And we, we, need, we, need some, we need that authenticated. Well, how is it authenticated? Look at, what it, look at what it says here. And it is God who establishes us with you, in Christ. You see, your authentication as a Christ follower happens in two different ways. Establishes us with you. That's one way. In other words, the authentication of any of us as believers happens in, in community. One of the ways that we know that we are authentic Christ followers occurs within the confines of community. As Christ followers, we were never intended to live alone or live in isolation or go off by ourselves and live as a hermit in a cave someplace. As much as some of us want to do that, that's not how we were created. It is within the confines of Christian community that we are often authenticated in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, Joe, how does that happen? Sometimes it just happens as a process of loving others. You can't love other people unless you are around other people. You can't love the, the, the difficult to love unless you're in church, for goodness sake, Right? So one of the ways our, our relationship with God is authenticated happens within community. And that's, the, that's one of the reasons that it is so important for Christ followers to be connected to a church and to stay involved in that church. Listen, we need the strength of community. We, y'all can amen me anytime you want to because I'm right. We, we need to be around other believers. And we need, to st- we need to be strong in, within the community. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't come to church just for you, for goodness sake. Don't make church attendance that, this is going to get me in trouble. Don't make church attendance that selfish. 
Is it for you? Of course it is. Come with your Bible. Come ready to learn. Come ready to be challenged. Come ready to be changed. But sometimes the most important thing you can do as a Christ follower is come to church and sit by somebody else. Sometimes the most important thing you can do is find somebody coming in the doors of the church and and, and engage them in conversation and pray for them or encourage them or have them come and sit next to you as we worship together. Y'all can amen me anytime I want to, anytime you want to, because I'm right. So we, we Americans make this all about us. It's all about me. Down to, this is my pew. Amen? Amen. I knew that. I knew sooner or later I was going to get a response. Right? And so we, we buzz, and some of, it, some of you are about to get offended. And if you do, you've got to come and apologize to me after church. Sometimes we buzz in right at church time or even a little after church time. It's supposed to buzz in there. Then we sit down and we do what we're supposed to do. And as soon as it's over, we buzz out of here. And I know there's some days that we have to do that. But friends, friends, it, it, it is within the context of community that our relationship with God is often authenticated. But there's another way in there. God establishes us. Did you notice what Paul said? God establishes us with you. There's, there's the, the Christ follower community in Christ. Your relationship to Jesus is always authenticated in him. Has, has, there, has, has, there, has there ever been, has there been any time in your life that you doubted your salvation? I guess I'm the only one in the room. Man, and, and that's a grievous time, isn't it? It's hard. When something comes up or the devil gets to whispering in your ear, whatever happens, and you, you begin to wrestle with, was I really saved? Am I really saved? If I were to die today, would I really go to heaven? How do I resolve that, Joe? How do I figure that out? I'm going to tell you, right after I got saved, I went through some miserable times dealing with that, struggling with that. I bet I asked God to save me a thousand different times. Remember, just crying out to him, if I'm not saved, save me now. Because I finally came to that point in my life that I knew that I needed a Savior, and if I didn't have a Savior, I was going to go to hell, and I didn't want to go to hell. And I would just cry out to God, God, if you haven't saved me, would you please save me now? I remember the torture of that, the grievousness of that. So how do we deal with that? How do we get out of that trap? Listen, we come to the scripture. And we find that God authenticates our relationship. God doesn't want us to live in doubt. God doesn't want us to worry today if tomorrow's our last day, whether we get to go to heaven or not. God doesn't want any of that to happen because he knows how miserable it makes us. So did you notice notice the word establish has an S on the end of it? Did you notice that? You know why? Because God is continually authenticating our relationship with him. You know why? Because we often struggle day into the week or the next month with whether we're really saved or not. So God is in a process of continually authenticating in us and for us and with us that we belong to him. 
You say, well, Joe, what, what, do I, what do I do if I'm struggling with doubts about my salvation? Listen, I don't have time to delve into that, but here's, here's what I'm going to suggest you do. Go to 1 John and read 1 John. And when you've read 1 John, go read it again. Because there are several places in that little book of four or five, five chapters where we find indicators that are proof of our salvation. And at the end of that little book, we find these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Go read 1 John. And then when you get to read it, read it again. And when you've read it the second time, start over. That's where you're going to find the proof of your relationship with God because he's going to establish you. He's going to authenticate you in community and in Christ. And Christ is the Logos. He is the Word. All right? I got to, I got to go because I, got, I, got, I told you I had four, maybe five words, and I've done one. So we're going to have to step on the gas a little bit. So much for this slow down business and look at, which is what I said earlier, we've got to speed up now. Here's the second thing. The second thing that we find about the attributes of God in this passage of Scripture. The second thing is that Paul reminds us that God anoints us. So there is an authentication. The second thing we discover in this verse is there is a dedication. A dedication. Now remember that biblically, anointing is always the work of the Spirit. Always the work of the Spirit. And listen to me. The Spirit anoints you to do the work of the ministry. In fact, as far as I can tell from the scripture, the only reason that anybody is ever anointed is for ministry, is to do work, is to get up and go do something. And some of you, in your, in your time as a Christ follower, you have sat under pastors who have preached what you would have thought, what you may have even said as an anointed message. You, you probably had the privilege of sitting under a, a, a man that you believe to be anointed. Listen, that happens. I'm convinced that happens happens. And, and, and it's so cool when you have that privilege to sit under that anointed teacher or preacher. But understand, the reason that he's anointed is because the Spirit has set him aside and dedicated him to do a work, to do something. And you think, well, listen, is that just for the preachers? Is that just for the staff? Is that just for the men? Oh, no, 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 no. No. Listen, if you're a Christ follower, if you've been saved, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit has anointed you. He has, he has touched you not so that you can feel good about yourself or be better than everybody else, but he has anointed you. He has touched you to do a specific work. So that's what it means to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, that, that you, have, you, you have been indwelt and you have been, you have been prepared for service. So anointing is always a dedication to the work. It is, and, and, and that's where I come up with the word dedication, a dedication to the work. The only, the only ones who are anointed for service are those who are established in Christ. Listen, we, as Christ followers, we, are, we have never been called to do something that we're not equipped to do. If God is going to ask you to do something, he has already prepared you to do it. That, that, should, that should be a relief. Some of you should look happy right now. He's not going to call you to do something that he has not equipped you and anointed you to do. You tracking with me? Because if he did that, he would be setting you up for failure 
And I don't think a God who loves us as much as God loves us would set us up for failure. So he anoints us, he equips us to do the work that he has put in front of us. You say, well, Joe, that's not necessarily true because there have been some things I've tried and I've failed. Well, maybe that's not the things that God anointed you to do. Maybe one of the things that we ought to do as Christ followers is just sit down with God and say, okay, God, Joe said I've been anointed. And if that's true, then what have you anointed me to do? What work is it that you want me to do? And when you discover what that is, then go get that done. Because you're, when you're working in that anointing, when you're working with the dedication of what the, what the Lord wants you to do, success comes out of that. So the Holy Spirit equips us and enables us and empowers us to serve in unique ways that we were completely incapable of serving in before we got saved. And that is so stinking cool. You say, well, what are those ways? Well, there's, there's two or three places you can go look. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks to that. Romans chapter 12 speaks to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks to that. Well, what do all those passages of Scripture have in common? All of those talk about the gifting of the Spirit. That God gives us these unique spiritual gifts that enable us to do things that we would never be able to do apart from the Spirit of God. Never. It's crazy how the Spirit of God indwells us and then anoints us, dedicates us to the work. So let me challenge you, friend. If you're not sure what your spiritual giftedness is, go find out. Go spend some time and find out. And then when you find out what that spiritual giftedness is, get busy doing those things. Because as you do, what you will discover is serving in the way that the Spirit has anointed you and dedicated you and gifted you to. Serving in that capacity is one of the most fulfilling things a person can do. It doesn't drain you, but it energizes you. It it, it doesn't suck it out of you, but it pours it into you. And you're able to stay involved and you're able to stay hooked up and you're able to stay doing the things that need to be done for the glory of God through Jesus in the church. So there is an authentication that we see in this passage. There is a dedication that we see in this passage. Here's the third thing. It is an identification. Paul reminds us here that God has sealed us. He has sealed us. He says, what does that mean? It's proof of that we belong to God. It is our identification. If, if we were to go back to the time that Paul wrote this, we would discover where rulers would produce documents and they would be shared around the kingdom, around the area. But, but more often than not, they were not folded up nicely and put into a little envelope with a return address and an RSVP on it. Oh, no, no, no. They were rolled up as a scroll. And the outer edge of that document, they would pour hot wax on that so that it would seal, it would seal the, the scroll. And then the king or one of his people would use his signet ring to press into the wax. You follow me? And, the, and so the emblem of the king would be pressed into the wax and seal the document. And the purpose of that seal, the purpose of that wax and that signet ring impression was to say to anyone who saw that document, this is a real document. This belongs to the king. This came from the king. So you see, when we get saved, when we become Christ, a Christ follower, when we give our lives to Jesus, 
one of the things that God does is he seals us. It is a process of identifying us as belonging to him. It is as if there's been hot wax poured on you and the signet ring that God wears has been pressed into that wax so that not only you, but others around you understand that you belong to God. It is an identification of the reality of your relationship to the Father. Again, let me say to you, God doesn't want you going through life worrying about or wondering about whether you're saved or not. That would make him a malicious God. Instead, he wants us to know to be settled in it. And he is at work in settling that for us. He seals us as proof that we belong to him. Listen, if you are Christ's follower, if you've been born again, if you've been saved, you are not your own. But you are his possession. You are his property. And his seal is upon you as proof of that. All right, y'all ready to move on? Y'all are a quiet bunch this morning. All right, let's move on. Here's the fourth thing. And some of you are thinking, he said four, and he just said fourth. That must mean we're done. I'm going to go ahead and give you five because I really like you. Here's the fourth thing that Paul reminds us, and that is God has given us his guarantee. That's our affirmation. So there is our authentication. There is our dedication. There is our identification. And the fourth thing is our affirmation that God has given us his guarantee. In other words, the Holy Spirit is like the down payment on the deal. The Holy Spirit is, is like the earnest money. I don't, I don't know when the last time that you bought a house, and if you hadn't bought one since the housing boom just blowed smoothed up, you probably paid too much money for it, but that's another issue altogether. If you ever bought a house, you know when you, when you found the house you wanted, Typically, to get the contract going, you had to put some earnest money down, right? Which meant that you were sincere, but it was also a promise of more money to come. That's the reason the house owner or the builder would make the deal with you. The earnest money was a promise of more money to come. Well, think about it this way. When you got saved, God gave you his Holy Spirit. Stop right there. When God gave you his Holy Spirit, he gave you all of the Holy Spirit, not just a part of him, so that you would be a second baptism or something like that. No, 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 no. When you got saved, all of the Holy Spirit came to live within you. The person of the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. And one of the reasons the Holy Spirit came to live in you at that moment of your salvation was as a down payment for that which is to come a down payment for the fulfillment of the deal. The Holy Spirit is proof that you belong to God, but the Holy Spirit is also the earnest money for what is to come. He is like your down payment. In other words, when God sends his Holy Spirit to live in you at the exact moment of your salvation, God is saying, here's part of what I got for you, and it's good but it ain't all what I got for you because it's better. There is, a, there is more to come. There is more to come. Y'all don't act too excited about that. There is more to come. The Holy Spirit is the down payment, is the proof that there is more to come. Wowzers, I thought that was exciting. 
So here, here's another way. Let me give you that fifth word. Another way to look at this guarantee business. Not only is it our affirmation. Ready? Not only is it our affirmation, but it is also God's obligation. When God gives you his spirit, he is obligated to finish the deal. That's, that's woohoo. He is obligated to finish what he has started. We, we Southern Baptists get knocked around quite a bit when we talk about things like security the believer and once saved, always saved. Gee, Willikers, I'm glad those are true statements. I'm glad those are in the Bible. But man, the people around us that don't understand that, they knock us around for it, right? They knock. But here's what I'm going to tell you. The Holy Spirit is God is, is proof of God's obligation to finish the deal. In other words, in other words, the moment you get saved, the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to, to dwell in you, that's God's down payment, but it's also his obligation to make sure that day by day he is continuing to save you and that ultimately you will be finally saved when you leave this earth and go to heaven. There, there is the justification when the moment you get saved, there is the sanctification of the process of being saved, and then there is the glorification, the final payment. When you leave this life and get a glorified body in heaven, all of that is part of God's obligation to finish what he has started. Man, that, that's good. And you know what? You know what? All of that, that obligation of God justifying us and sanctifying us and ultimately glorifying us, that's on him. It ain't on us. Do I have responsibility to say in the word? Yes. Do I have responsibility to serve? Yes. Do I have responsibility to come to church? Yes. But it is God's obligation to finish what he started. And I serve a God that will finish what he has started who will do what he said he will do. And you know what? Jesus is the yes. The yes of God's promise that he will finish what he has started. So if you're a Christ follower, you ought to just take a big old sigh of relief, just a big old breath of relief like, ah, this is good. I don't have to, I didn't have to work to be saved. I don't have to work to stay saved. I don't have to work to go to heaven. I can just trust God because he has obligated himself by giving me his Holy Spirit. He has obligated himself to finish the deal. That is great news. Good news, brothers, sisters. Good news. We should rejoice in that and look happy about it as we rejoice in it. Y'all have some of the weirdest facial expressions for joy that I think I have ever seen. I was like, that's not rejoicing. Well, I don't, maybe it isn't even. I, I don't know. I don't know. But this is gloriously good news that he authenticates us, right? What was the second one? That he dedicates us. What was the third one? What was it? That, and the affirmation, right? And then the fourth one? Yeah, and then God's responsibility, his obligation. That's something you ought to take with you. 
You got to stick that in your pocket. Write down on a sticky note and put it on your bathroom mirror or something. And just be reminded every day of your life that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and that God is going to finish what he has started. I got no better news than that. If you've never given your life to God, I, I can't imagine setting through the torture, listening to me talk about those two verses and not thinking to myself, man, I, I need that. If Joe's right about that, I need that. I need Jesus in my life. Yes, you do. I need this Holy Spirit in my life. Yes, you do. How do you get it, Joe? Great question. How about you just ask? Oh, it can't be that simple. Oh, yeah. You guys figure it out. It's just old fat guys that struggle with it. You know? The older and the fatter you get, the more you think you have to earn it. And that just gets you in a bind. You ask the little guys about how to get saved, they'll tell you, you just ask Jesus to save you. Yeah, yeah. And then all those things that we just saw begin to go to work in you. It's a glorious thing. Jesus, will you save me? Remember, <laughs> he is the yes to all of God's promises. Will you save me? Yes. 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 Go bow your heads, will you? If you need to be saved, why wouldn't you just ask right now? And if you have been saved, why wouldn't you be happy about it? Glad. And if you're struggling with it, how about just opening the Bible back up and see it is that God establishes you and that he anoints you and that he seals you. be glad brother be glad sister be glad you come will you altar is open you need to be saved you come you need to be baptized you come you want to join church you come we want us just to pray with you or over you you come we're going to sing for a moment and wait on you to come let's stand together as we sing